everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of April 6th through April 19th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. This is kind of an April Fool's week since it's two weeks. I guess so. And uh, Ben Lamoureux. Happy birthday, Mother 3. Yeah. Uh, apologies, we could not record for you last week. Uh, Alex was busy and I was sick, but we're back this week. The good news is that there hasn't been a whole lot of news, so our little catch-up episode here should cover everything no sweat. And this week we celebrate not only the 15th anniversary of the Animal Crossing series, but today, when this episode launches, is the 10th anniversary of Mother 3, as Ben just mentioned. So uh, we'll be playing all the right music for the anniversary feels during the break and during this week's outro. Uh, interestingly, though there was not much news, there were a ton of rumors surfacing recently, uh, so we won't have the time to cover them all in the normal Gossip Stone segment. Uh, what we'll be doing instead is we'll have the news block and Fortune Street in the first half of the episode, where we've got, uh, news on Smash, Pokemon Go, Mega Man, and some interesting new things that Nintendo's doing. Then, after the break, we will have a long, long Gossip Stone session, uh, so fasten your seatbelts and come along for the ride, because in the meantime... Let's take it to the news block. So here we are in the news block, um, you know, just the news segment of this show. And to start off, a lot of regions in Spain have been banning Bayonetta from competing in Smash tournaments, and lots of other regions and countries are considering banning her as well. Uh, I don't know all the technical jargon of the competitive scene, so I may be interpreting some of what I've read on Reddit and Smash boards and whatnot a little bit wrong, but essentially, she's got a lot of combos that are just way too good and making her really overpowered. Um, I read something from YouTube King on Reddit that, again, jargon may be misleading me, but I think it was saying that you can escape her combos if you know how, which is what anti-banners uses, the primary argument, but that if the Bayonetta player is quick enough to read your escape, then she can come back and still get you anyway. Um, so it is escapable, but if the player's good enough, it's really not. Um, but apparently people have consulted fighting game communities, uh, the melee community, there's pretty strong support base in favor of banning her, but at the same time, the tournaments she's been destroyed in are mostly local regionals, and she hasn't placed any higher than fifth at larger regional skills. Uh, so that is to say that on the one hand, maybe she's not so broken at top level play, but on the other, maybe people just haven't had the time to optimize her brokenness at that level yet. Um, at the end of the day, whatever happens, she's clearly strong enough to throw the community into a huge frenzy, so hopefully the balancing team takes notice and takes whatever step they need to, uh, if they decide they need to, to make the game better. Yeah, and you know, there just was a pretty recent patch, and I think everyone and their mother was expecting her to get nerfed, and then she really wasn't. Yeah, uh, she uh, like she has, I think it's 11 moves that can lead into kill combos, which is already nuts, but what's also crazy is that, uh, so I was talking to my roommate, who is a pretty high-level Smash player, and uh, he was telling me that one of her central combo moves, the up B, treats every character as if they have the same weight. So it does the same thing to Jigglypuff as it does to Bowser, which is great for combos, obviously, but I don't think that any other move in Smash has ever done that. And obviously it makes who she's fighting matter a bit less. So, I mean, that's just a, one example of an easy fix that they could make that would make her, uh, you know, a little less crazy. Yeah, as someone who's not a huge, like, hardcore competitive player, uh, who just kind of plays online every once in a while, uh, Bayonetta is definitely the only character that I actually dread running into online. <laughs> and it's just a shame, because I, I actually like the way the character handles and plays, but when you, mm -hmm. you are playing someone online and they're doing 70% worth of damage to you with virtually no opportunity to escape, it's uh, a little frustrating. Pokemon Go's field test is still going on in Japan, and in fact, if you're listening to our show from Australia or New Zealand, they just expanded the field test to your region, so you can sign up to try and join in early. But thanks to the field test, we've got tons more footage and screenshots for you to check out, so you can see gameplay of battles, eggs, collection, and more. Uh, we've also got more gameplay details, and as always, it's a pretty hefty round of info, so be sure to read the full story at Gamnesia if you want to know the whole shebang. But the biggest takeaway we learned is that the Pokemon battles happen in regions 
real time instead of being uh, turn-based like the main series games. So you'll have your four attacks, you tap on an attack to use it right away, or you can hold it down to charge it up and do more damage. Uh, you'll swipe across the screen to dodge. Pokeball physics are like a little game of skill, so it'll be really involved. And I think that that's a refreshing change of pace from the main series, which is what a mobile spinoff should be. Yeah, obviously we haven't seen any footage of it yet, but just based on the descriptions we've read, I think it sounds really exciting. You've got kind of like a little stamina meter, and so if you charge your attacks, it takes up more stamina, whereas if you just tap them, it only takes a little, and you can dodge. So it's, you know, it, making it real-time is, I think, going to make it a lot more engaging, and at the same time using just a really simple control scheme, just, you know, tap or swipe or hold yeah, down. Sure. Like, I, I think they found a, a, a good way to make it interesting and engaging for players, while at the same time also keeping it just super simple Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of surprising for to me that they're they're departing kind of as far as they are from the uh, old turn-based formula because as we saw on ds that already worked really well with touchscreens but at the same time i think it's interesting and like ben said exciting that um they're taking a leaf out of what other kind of established rpg properties are doing and they're trying to find ways to work to make alternatives to turn-based systems work um I know turn-based systems, you know, we love them, and for us, they're fine, for us long-time gamers. But for new players, turn-based systems aren't necessarily uh, appealing or attractive. So I think this is a, a good compromise for people that, that want battles for in Pokemon Go. especially. Right, and for, yeah, for, and sure. for casual mobile players, for sure. Um, so I think I think it's a good direction for the series. Um, I'm excited to see if they bring any of these new mechanics into the traditional games, because you know, as as I was just saying, the turn-based games are kind of falling out of vogue with with new players, and that's something I could see them kind of trying to carry over into the main games. I don't know how much they'd carry it over. I mean, Pokemon is pretty conservative with its gameplay formula, and I don't mean, like, you know, eight gyms and the Elite Four by that. I mean, like, just the fact that, for example, in... 2016, it's still based on a grid, you know, like, well, I mean, uh, you know, the grass is copy and pasted over for every tile, stuff like that. I think a lot of these holy grails of, of gameplay, at least that we've seen with a lot of these series are not necessarily going to, to hold fast and true forever. Uh, in particular, the grid, that was a good example, but I mean, I agree, but I don't see them doing it soon. Yeah, I, I don't see them taking a main series Pokemon game and replacing the combat with this system, but I could see them doing sort of, you know, they have, like, the various different kinds of Pokemon contests in different games, oh. so I could see them using a different sort of control scheme for something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are lots of those ways that they sort of play around within the main series games without playing around with the core formula that makes up the the brunt of the story mm-hmm. and the brunt of the journey. But another Pokemon spinoff launched for mobile devices in Japan recently called Pokemon Co-Master. We heard a little bit about this a few weeks back, but it is out now. It's essentially a little chess-like battling game that uses Pokemon figurines. That's obviously a huge oversimplification, but we only have so much time here. Uh, So if you want to see more of the game in action and get a sense of what it's really like, there's over an hour of footage in our story at Gamnesia, so be sure to check that out. Uh, Anyway, you battle with these figurines, you can win diamonds as an in-game currency by playing playing the game and beating other trainers, or you can buy diamonds with microtransactions, and then the diamonds will advance your progress, unlock special Pokemon figurines, stuff like that. I guess nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't particularly have anything to add to it. (laughs) Okay, knock that one out of the way. Um, Enough about mobile games here, because Star Fox Zero and Star Fox Guard are on the horizon, coming in just two days. Uh, By the time you're listening, the review embargo should be lifted, so we should have a review roundup for you at Gamnesia. Right now, the only reception we know it got is a 35 out of 40 from Famitsu, although we did learn that it struggles to maintain 60 frames per second. Nevertheless, you can get excited for its release with a new short film based on the game, which Nintendo will be streaming for 15 minutes today at 3pm Pacific Time. So if you're listening to the podcast before that short airs, be sure to make some time for it. Um, The animation style looks really cool. And if you're already planning to pick up the game, you've got something new to look forward to, as Nintendo officially dedicated the game in honor of Satoru Iwata, and they've got a sweet little message for the dedication at the end. Very appropriate, I think, since this was one of the last games that he had Mm -hmm. the pleasure of announcing um yeah yeah. very very sweet um yeah and i agree with you the the new short film the animation style looks incredible um Mm -hmm. with the amount of attention uh miyamoto's been giving to these animation projects lately i wonder how closely he'll be involved with the uh actual licensed films that they'll be producing at some point 
Well, especially now that his official title is creative, creative fellow, fellow. Which is kind of <laughs> seems like yeah. they want him having some sort of creative control. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I think we'll have to wait and see how this Star Fox one turns out mm-hmm. for me to be able to say whether or not I hope it's a very huge involvement. Um, but I would imagine quite a bit, just because you know he's he's very involved. I think with all of the different projects that Nintendo works on, um, and especially if these movie projects are using IP that he created. Yeah, uh, I think he'd be very, very, yeah. Between Pikmin and Star Fox, I mean, that's like the first two they've tackled so far. Yeah, and the Star Fox animation, I hope it looks a little better than it does in the trailer because the trailer's frame rate dips a lot, um, and that really bothered me when I was looking at this thing because smooth animation is really important, and if they, I mean, that style, first of all, is really, really cool, but it would be even cooler to see without chopping it up. Well, you know, know they figure bit. if the game's frame rate dips, then the, uh, the tie-in <laughs> shit as well. True, true. Uh, so, we spent a lot of time talking about games that are coming in the future, so let's turn to some games from the past. After years and years, people have discovered new secrets in both Earthbound and Punch-Out, or highlighted them, at least. I'm sure they weren't entirely new discoveries. So, in the opening sequence of Earthbound, you may remember the light that comes out of the meteor. It turns out you can actually control that light in all kinds of cool ways using Player 2's controller, and that even still works in the Virtual Console version on Wii U. Uh, As for Punch-Out, during the fight with Piston Honda, there's a guy in the first row who ducks every now and then, Uh, and if you punch Piston Honda at that exact moment when he ducks, you can knock piston out cold so remember folks keep playing your games in new ways because you never know what secrets are yet to be discovered uh you know even in games that are nearly 30 years old this is kind of a, a lost art for games i feel um those the little easter eggs in the title screens in particular um but also mm-hmm. you know it makes me miss things like cheat codes and, and things like that that, that developers yeah. are doing so i hope nintendo finds a way to keep doing little nice little touches like this um since i feel like even their games it's it's becoming more and more a rarity over time i feel like the easter eggs are there they're just not nearly as interesting like sure. um you look at all the hidden luigis in super mario 3d world and i yeah but it's was like any single one of them even hidden it's like they make a big deal about them being there now that's also true yeah yeah interesting Well, anyway, uh, this is our last story for the quick news block this week. Some of you may remember that the studio behind Ben 10 is working on a new Mega Man cartoon, which is still set to launch in 2017 for the series' 30th anniversary. Joe Kelly, a writer of the new series, wrote a message to fans recently asking them not to dump on the show, which has apparently been happening a lot to him, because we haven't even seen anything yet. He says the team looked at 30 years of source material focusing on the games and their lore, and they aimed to distill down the DNA of Mega Man and apply that to modern animated storytelling. Uh, He goes on to say that he can't compare it to anything else because it isn't like anything else. It's something new. So we should reserve judgment for it uh, until we see it and then let the work speak for itself. And it's kind of inevitable whenever a project gets announced like this, there's going to be, you know, some people that are, like, stupid excited for it without having seen anything, and there's going to be people that are instantly like, oh, all video game-related, you know, spin-off media is terrible, this is going to suck, so. Yeah. Uh, Something that I did think was beautifully ironic here is how much he was gushing about the respect and care they have for Mega Man, and then, like, four times in this message, he spelled Mega Man wrong. (laughs) Yeah, he just merged them together like one word. You know, that's that's pretty common for people to do that, but... Uh, Yeah... It's it's ironic, though. That's all I mean. Yeah. So I, I didn't grow up watching Ben 10 or anything. I think that was a little after my time, probably. That was, I, that was my generation. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard from, from <laughs> youngins like you, Colin, that it was a pretty <laughs> decent show, though. So would, would you agree with that? I think it was... I mean, I haven't seen it since I was... like. So they had a bunch of different series, and I only watched the first one. Yeah. And the first one lost me... Like, I I wasn't young enough to stick with it all the way through. But when I did watch it, I really, really loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't seen it at all since then. So I can't say whether or not it holds up, you know, at at an older age. But I'm sure, regardless, I'm sure their target demographic is, like, the Ben 10 demographic. Um, 
who obviously, of course, not the people who were watching Ben 10 when it was out, but the people who are the age that they would be watching Ben 10 if it was in, you know, 2005 or whatever. Which is interesting because the average Mega Man fan is probably like 30 years old by now. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> an I interesting mean, it's choice. It's cool that but... they're trying to, you know, bring in younger fans to the series. So Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I think creatively that direction is totally appropriate mm-hmm. either way. So, um, you know, whether or not it fulfills what current Mega Man fans are really hoping for, I think it's probably assuming that Capcom's sort of relaunch of the brand that they seem to be setting up for 2017 is consistent with the cartoon, I think it's a good direction for the brand. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll we haven't seen anything, so. I mean, I'm most I'm personally mostly curious what they are are thinking is the DNA of Mega Man because one really obvious thing I can think of is that he's a robot so he doesn't have any DNA. <laughs> Touche. Uh, one one really simple thing that I think they could do uh, in an episodic cartoon is just have a robot master of the week sort of story structure, at least at first. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. they really ramp up the plot, assuming it will have one. Um, <laughs> so if they, That's a pretty bold assumption. Right. Um, so I think if they focus on really simple things like that that are really uh, are identifiably Mega Man, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it should be fine. All right, well, that is that for the news block, but we've still got some interesting stuff that Nintendo's been up to this week, so let's head over to Fortune Street. All right, everybody, welcome to Fortune Street, a segment where we discuss recent updates from the more businessy side of Nintendo, from their financial status to sales data, various tech projects, and stuff like that. So, Nintendo filed a patent for a device that can work as a controller, a projector, and more. It's really wacky, so I definitely suggest that you go check out the description at NeoGAF, which you can find through our story at Gamnesia. Uh, These are some really out there ideas, so I don't know if we'll be able to make much sense of them based on just the patents. We may have to wait and see if they actually amount to anything Nintendo's going to release in order to understand it that well. Uh, But I'm curious if either of you guys see much here at this point. So the two things that I that I personally had as a takeaway from this was the the idea is it seems to be to try to do as much to let you play games without a like TV screen as possible. So that mm-hmm. that explains the projector angle. It's supposed to be able to kind of project pseudo holograms, kind of like an an AR sort of experience. Looked, I was going to say it looked kind of like a device that you set on a desk and then it projects like a little 360-degree screen right. hovering above the device. It, it looked really futuristic. Like, I don't know how this is actually going to work. Right. And then the See, other... Nintendo's not interested in VR, but they're all about, like, holodeck. They're, they're all about alternate <laughs> forms of, of VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was that the, uh, the projector element of it is able to project what looked to me like an AR controller, which is, like, a, a simulated controller. Um, I don't know how usable that would be, um, but one thing yeah. that I noticed is both of those ideas fall in line with a comment uh, Miyamoto made, I think in the early 2000s, but I don't remember the exact date, uh, where he said that the Nintendo and him in particular were, were looking into finding ways to, to get games away from the traditional TV setup. And we sort of saw the fruits of that with what they've been doing with uh, 3DS and Wii U, where 3DS, they focused on this not-a-TV screen that projected uh, glasses-less 3D. And with Wii U, you were able to take your gameplay away from the TV with the gamepad. So I could Mm -hmm. see Nintendo looking at this idea as kind of an extension of that uh, philosophy they've been pushing, where we want to try to give you game experiences that don't require you to be using the TV. Now, whether that will work is another question. Yeah. 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 Uh, And it may be a while before it can. Yes. Uh, Nintendo of America is looking for a specialist who can oversee their characters' use in toys, films, promotional materials, and more. Uh, Essentially, they're looking for someone who can work with other companies that are getting the license to use Nintendo's characters with their products to make sure that they're on par with the quality that Nintendo would expect. So, this signals a big change at Nintendo, in part because they're hiring this position in Washington, which is a good step towards the global outreach Nintendo would need in this whole endeavor to leverage their characters' brand presence. So I think this is a good complement to uh, something we were kind of alluding to earlier, which is Nintendo's uh, expanded brand presence into films and, and other media. Um, mm-hmm. I think in particular the film aspect, because those that will be the the area where 
other creators are trying to exert the most creative control. Um, I could totally yeah. see uh, Nintendo putting someone on the brand to make sure that there's you know continuity within the film universes that are being created, that those film universes complement where the direction they're going with the games, kind of like how uh, Game of Thrones is its own thing separate from the, the Song of Ice and Fire series, but also very heavily based on it, uh, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And this would, uh, that they're basing this kind of position in the West is really mm-hmm. promising too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, this is something I was kind of hoping that with uh, Kamishima taking over the company that there would be more of a Western focus just because of how much time he spent at, you know, Nintendo of America and at the Pokemon company and all of that and, and what a businessman he is. I'd hoped that he would grasp just how important it is for Nintendo to attract more Western gamers and sooner rather than later because the Japanese market is just mm-hmm. outside of mobile games shrinking up pretty rapidly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this is still yeah. very much a, a sort of marketing position, so it's hard to say whether this means uh, Nintendo of America will have a lot more autonomy than they currently do. But, you know, you're right, right it, is a, it is a good sort of symbolic move. It's a step, yeah. Uh, another thing I noticed, and maybe this is a new discussion entirely, but I noticed that the examples that they use for Nintendo IP in this listing are Mario, Donkey Kong, Zelda, and Splatoon. Uh, and I think that that tells us a lot about where Nintendo is going in the future. Um Namely, that they already consider Splatoon one of their A-listers, so we can sure as heck expect it to be all over the place. Um, And then springboarding off of that, Splatoon's success story is one of young designers kicking around a silly idea and seeing it to its full, natural completion. Um, You know, not making a tech demo and slapping a pre-existing IP like WarioWare on it. Not putting it on the eShop as soon as it's technically a workable game. Uh... Seeing it all the way through as an idea that's original through and through. So the fact that it's already up there in the big leagues, I would hope, and I think there is reason to be optimistic, has given Nintendo more confidence to invest in their ideas, to use younger developers' energy, and to knock it out of the park. Investments like that are why we have every major Nintendo series, every iconic character, and Nintendo has a lot of strengths, But the franchises and characters that they have has always been far and away their biggest one. In fact, I'd argue that it's the glue that holds all their other strengths together. And it's been a long time since we've seen them be this bold and this daring with a new game idea. Uh, In recent years, we've seen a ton of new IP, especially on the eShop, that are just clearly not very heavily funded. And we've seen a ton of new game ideas that struggle to fit themselves within a framework of a pre-existing series, and in that process, sacrificing a lot of their potential, especially their potential for individuality. And I think that that kind of reluctance, that lack of confidence in their own ideas, is a huge reason why the Nintendo we have today is so much weaker than the Nintendo we had in, for example, the NES era, where they did this for every single idea that they had. So I hope that the success of Splatoon can give Nintendo some of that confidence back and reignite that kind of can-do attitude that made them king of software in the first place. Yeah, you know, as I said last week, or uh, two weeks ago, I guess it would be, in uh, response to a question from one of our listeners, Splatoon was a great start. You know, Nintendo, like you said, back in the NES days, they were just constantly coming up with new ideas and turning them into new Mm -hmm. IP and promoting the heck out of them and heavily investing in them. And they did a great job with that with Splatoon. It's an excellent start. But they need, like, three Splatoons per platform, not one. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I mean, at least three. And not only that, but I think they, while Splatoon, of course, was very successful as a as a game, I think there were a lot of missed opportunities to make Splatoon not just successful as a game, but successful as kind of like a cultural phenomenon. I've said before totally. that it was a, g- a great property to exploit for a fashion line, and that still hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the fact that Nintendo is now thinking about their IP in the way that they are, thinking about evangelizing their IP through different avenues like film, like merchandise, uh, means that hopefully we'll see, as they produce even more new IP, that they'll be going all in with those IP, uh, bringing them not just to their platforms, but to to sort of the world outside of gaming as well. To movies, to toys, to craft mac and cheese boxes. To real life. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you bring up that they're not taking... 
that they're not taking advantage of the obvious like clothing line opportunities because there's all kinds of tie-in deals for Splatoon in Japan. They're selling like Splatoon lint rollers and Splatoon gummies <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, but, but yeah. they're not you know taking full advantage right. of the Splatoon clothing line idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, last up on Fortune Street, Twilight Princess HD came in third place in the U.S. sales charts this past week, and Pokémon Tournament came in seventh. I've seen some people lauding this as huge, amazing news for Nintendo. It means these games are wild successes. It's not. Uh, it doesn't. It's good. It's definitely not something to be sad about. But apparently Twilight Princess sold about 300,000 copies, while Pokémon Tournament sold about 250,000. So, it's good news, but it's not really all that significant. It's, you gotta say, with the caveat of those are great sales numbers, dot dot dot, for Wii U games. For Wii U exclusives. So. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. not bad first month debuts, I would say, just in general. Even. We'll see how they continue to sell. But they're not you know, selling a ton of hardware. They're not, uh, you know, best in genre sales either. I know Pokemon Tournament is actually stacking mm-hmm. out favorable against Street Fighter Five, but it will. I don't think that'll hold over the long term. Well, certainly uh, so not as Street Fighter Five continues its DLC rollout. Precisely. So it's not. Yeah. It's not lighting up the the world or anything, but it's also not underperforming. So right, right. All right, well, that is it for Fortune Street, so let's take it to the lightning round. We've now arrived at the beloved lightning round, where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week. If you want to read more about any of these stories or any of the ones that we discussed earlier, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest episode of this podcast will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and then if you click on that page, you can then see all these links for the stories. So first up, we got recent releases and stuff that is now available for you. On the 3DS, lots of games are now available in North America, including Bravely Second, as well as Super Metroid, Donkey Kong Country 2, and Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, all on the new 3DS Virtual Console. And while it's not available yet, you can pre-order Shin Megami Tensei for Apocalypse Now. On the Wii U, Splatoon got its big April update, bringing eight new weapons and lots of bug fixes, while Runbow got a lot of new DLC, including the character Lilac from Freedom Planet. And European owners can now enjoy Yoshi's Story on the Wii U Virtual Console, as well as five newly discounted Wii U and 3DS games from the Nintendo Selects program. Mitomo players can now get three new outfits as My Nintendo Rewards, while Android users can now enjoy the Pokemon Trading Card Game online app and the Camp Pokemon app. You can now pre-order the Kirby series and Isabella Amiibo at GameStop. And finally, today is the 10th anniversary of Mother 3. And today, as you're listening, fans have released a French translation of the game for French fans to play. Everyone hoping for an official release? Don't worry. Emily Rogers says Mother 3 is still set to come out on the virtual console outside of Japan this year. Yeah, I was hoping at the time we recorded this that there'd be an announcement that there was a surprise Nintendo Direct for the 20th, but it was not to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we're more likely to see it announced at E3, unfortunately. Yeah. But it could be point, one of those, which, guess what's coming out today announcements, so we could hope for that. That's too. true. Um, yeah, we'll see. Check Gamnesia.com for updates, listeners. I kind of expected them to treat it like they did Earthbound. So, of course, if they do that, if they announce at E three, oh, it's out today. None of us will get to play it for like another like. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel that. like that's gonna get. I feel like that's yeah. gonna get buried. Yeah, but, which uh, is unfortunate. Okay. I mean, that's. I feel like what happened with Earthbound Beginnings. And yeah, I, they they shouldn't repeat that with Mother Three. But yeah. I agree. I th- at this point, it feels like they're going to. Uh, anyway. We've then got a bunch of upcoming dates to look out for, so mark your calendars. April 20th, today at 3 p.m. Pacific, Nintendo's streaming that animated Star Fox short. April 21st, Europe is getting Mario Party 2 and Mario Party DS on the Virtual Console. So they're getting the best Mario Party games. Congratulations, Europe. As well as a demo of Game Freak's upcoming 3DS game, Pocket Card Jockey. April 22nd, this Friday, Star Fox Zero and Star Fox Guard launch in North America. The 22nd is also the last day to sign up for the Pokemon Trainers Club newsletter and get the legendary birds. April 20th, third, the Yokai Watch anime premieres in Europe, but more importantly, it's the kickoff for the next Splatfest, which is Team SpongeBob versus Team Patrick. Uh, I'm Team SpongeBob. How about you guys? I would be Team Patrick, but only like season one and two Patrick. I'm Team Patrick, but clearly me versus Team Squidward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, is, is Team Squidward an option? Because that's really where I'm leaning. <laughs> April 24th is your last day to go on Wi-Fi and get Jirachi through Mystery Gift in the Pokemon 3DS games. April 27th is Nintendo's quarterly financial earnings report, which means we may hear more about the NX, so keep an eye peeled on that Tuesday night, too, because we may hear more details pretty early from Japan. Uh, 
April 28th, Lost Reverse launches in North America, as does Mini Mario and Friends Amiibo Challenge. April 29th, Yokai Watch launches in Europe. May 5th, Pocket Card Jockey launches in Europe. Mid-May, Korokoro's got a big scoop on Pokemon Sun and Moon. Hopefully it's not nothing like their April one was. <laughs> Summer, Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse launches in North America. July 16th, Yokai Watch 3 launches in Japan. And sometime in November, Viz Media is launching the new Zelda manga. They're actually, what they're doing is they're uh, re-releasing all the classic ones in, uh, in new volumes with like extra artwork and uh, new cover art and stuff. Ah. Uh, and then, finally, a rundown of all the smaller things that happened this past week. The creator of Mega Man, Keiji Nafune, and the director of Metal Gear Rising both made levels in Super Mario Maker, while a fan made a complete 40-level game. Super Mario Maker's guidelines have been updated to explain why Nintendo deletes certain courses, and rewinding back to the OG Mario days, the world record for the fastest time beating the original Super Mario Bros. has been topped. Again. Pokémon Tournament has also been updated to fix several small issues, including an infinite combo Mewtwo could use. You can check out the full patch notes at Gamnesia, and then the new Pokemon Magirna is officially confirmed to be a steel-slash-fairy type. Mitoma was downloaded 1.6 million times in the U.S. alone in its first four days, and it's estimated to have 4 million users and make over a quarter million dollars each week. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, I personally haven't spent any money in it, but it's good to know that, you know, it's making it into some money from some people. They're yeah. just not me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kirby Planet Robobot features Meta Knight being mind-controlled and a clone of King DDD, and it got a 36 out of 40 from Famitsu. Japan's getting a new Yu-Gi-Oh! game on 3DS. There's a lot of new info on the characters in Azure Striker Gunvolt 2. Minecraft Wii U Edition will get a retail launch soon. Shovel Knight sold over 1.2 million copies and nearly 200,000 amiibo. Which is just awesome for an indie game like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as for new footage, screens, and more, we've got a ton. We've got new trailers for Dragon Quest Heroes 2, Dragon Ball Fusions, Monster Hunter Generations, Kirby Planet Robobot, Mini Mario and Friends, and the next Pokemon movie, as well as a Hyrule Warriors Legends trailer explaining its My Fairy feature and the European launch trailer for Star Fox Zero. Incidentally, as soon as I kind of flesh out my understanding of the My Fairy feature more, I will have a Hyrule Warriors Legends review ready for your reviewing review reading <laughs> your viewing <laughs> uh we've got gameplay footage from star fox guard kirby planet robobot an upcoming yokai watch crossover game and star fox zero's co-op mode and we've got new commercials for star fox zero and new screenshots from metroid prime federation force and a ton of new everything from ace attorney 6 which comes loaded with new info on the game as well and nintendo made a sweet commemoration video for animal crossing's 15th anniversary you can get games up to 30% off during the Nintendo eShop Super Spring Sale. Mega Man Legacy Collection is $20 on Amazon. Nintendo's making gorgeous amiibo dioramas for the Kirby and Smash Bros. lines in Japan. An online store called Merchoid is selling tons of gorgeous Zelda merchandise for cheap, including super detailed replicas of the Master Sword and Hylian Shield. But if cheap isn't your thing, a retro gaming company is making new NES systems plated with 24 karat gold for $5,000 apiece. Life goals. A fan combined Mario Kart with Rocket League in an awesome animated show short, while another one combines Star Fox with Star Wars to amazing effect. Another fan remade some of the best moments from the Zelda CDI games in 3D as part of a joke remake trailer. Other Zelda fans aren't so lucky, though, as Nintendo shut down the 3D Zelda NES project we talked about last week, and they also took down the 101 characters in Mario Kart video. A modder built a small custom gaming PC inside the case of a Nintendo 64. Another fan built a storage shelf for his video games in the shape and color of the GameCube logo, which is really wacky and really awesome at the same time. An amazing new mod combines Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64 for a whole new experience, and dedicated fans have translated the Chibi-Robo DS game that never came outside Japan. Japanese gamers voted Mewtwo the most handsome Pokemon. I'd date him. <laughs> Someone custom-painted a real-life Glock to look like an NES zapper. Which just sounds like a great life choice. Sonic is selling kids' toys based on Mario and Luigi Paper Jam. Tesla cars now have a hidden feature where Autopilot shows your car driving down Rainbow Road. And a store called Yummy Mart is selling tons of Pokemon-themed adult nightwear for the series' 20th anniversary. That is one way to celebrate. That's a pretty great way to celebrate. <laughs> uh, that's it for the news segment this week. Uh, we are coming back with the Gossip Stone upcoming soon. So in the meantime, please enjoy the calming main theme from Animal Crossing Wild World.
everybody, welcome back to Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm still joined by Alex Plant. I'm still here. And Ben Lamoureux. Let's get to the rumors. So, yeah, rumor time. Here we are with the Gossip Stone, where we discuss the latest updates from the old rumor mill. After each one, we're going to go around and weigh in with our final verdicts, whether we think the rumors are true or trubbish. So, first up, and... Probably the best lead-in to the other rumors uh, is Zelda U and Super Smash Bros. are definitely being ported to the NX, while Splatoon and Mario Maker have NX ports in development that may or may not see the light of day, depending in part on whether they can get user data from the Wii U games to move seamlessly over to NX. This was revealed first by Emily Rogers, who's got a great track record for revealing Nintendo news before it's officially announced. Most recently, you may remember that she revealed there was a new Paper Mario game coming to Wii U just before Color Splash was announced. Uh, she says she's spoken to at least 10 sources on this stuff. Afterwards, a user of both Reddit and NeoGAF, who goes by the name of 10K, was verified to have connections to Nintendo developers, and he came out affirming what Emily Rogers said. He further said a source claimed NX will be more powerful than PS4. So, obviously, we've been saying Zelda U will come to NX for pretty much as long as we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> Basically. We made that happen. <laughs> uh, I took checks. And Smash Bros. is obviously our second pick for obvious port to NX because yep. that's a giant franchise that Nintendo can't just abandon as they transition to their new system. And they just also can't just barf out another one in the next two years for NX. No, for sure. Especially since we know Sakurai is dead. Sakurai. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to say true on all of these ports because Emily Rogers has proven to be extremely trustworthy and all of those moves seem like no-brainers. Um, I'm going to call Trubbish on the claim that it's more powerful than PlayStation 4 because of a rumor that we'll discuss in just a minute here that the NX controller will have a screen in it and be able to stream games from the console on the go. Uh, spoiler alert for that discussion, I, I kind of think it's true, uh, but even if it's not, it sounds like this 10K guy has sort of backed off on what he was saying, so either way um but anyway if it is if that other one is true i don't have faith that nintendo could accomplish all that with any semblance of success if the console is already going to be more powerful than the ps4 because that would make the nx way more expensive than nintendo can typically sell their hardware um if the nx had a handheld form factor that you buy separately rather than the controller itself doing all that stuff then i'd have more faith in the ps4 comparison but if you're trying to sell a console that powerful plus that advanced a controller in one package it's not happening total rubbish yeah so we've been hearing for a long time that zelda u and smash bros are being ported to nx so i and and from multiple different sources too so i think that's completely true and it makes sense for them to attempt to bring splatoon and mario maker over as well i think we've discussed mm -hmm. both of those too in the past so i'm gonna yeah. agree with you that i think uh it's it's true that zelda u and smash are on the way and that splatoon and mario maker could be as well uh, I am also going to call Trubbish, Trubbish on NX being more powerful than PS4. Uh, I mean, I could see it being on par with it, but I, I believe 10K was suggesting that its GPU would be, like, twice as powerful. It's like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was around the power level of PS4, maybe a little bit stronger, um, but it's definitely not, like, verifiably, discernibly, right now, we can tell for sure it's going to be noticeably and significantly more powerful. Yeah. That's not happening. Yeah, I will also say true on the ports. I think uh, Nintendo will be very uh, putting very high priority on getting their what I'll call games as a service onto NX because those are games that they expect to be supported, expect to support for a long time, expect to have long tail sales, expect to have long term uh, fan community support. Uh, mm -hmm. So all those games that were described in the rumor fit the bill. I think we may even see uh, Mario Kart get revitalized in some fashion with a lot of the content from 8. I've had kind of an interesting theory that they'll just take the 8 logo and turn it into an infinity and just <laughs> keep going with Mario Kart for the entire NX maybe, generation. Maybe. But, but, I mean, I think the the core of it is I think they'll take their, their big service-based games and, and definitely bring them all over. Uh, yeah. Plus Zelda. And then I'll also call Trubbish on the NX being discernibly more powerful than PS4. Um, I think we might see something kind of like what we saw with Wii U, where, uh, you know, for example, the CPU was less powerful than what you had on Xbox 360 and PS3, but uh, it was more powerful in kind of less linear ways. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be a mixed bag, I think. I don't think it'll be a straight more powerful than PS4. Interesting. 
Uh, next up is a second round of rumors coming from that same user, 10k. Starting with smaller stuff, he says sources are telling him that the NX will launch on different dates in different regions, which is no surprise. Uh, there are lots of NX games in development, including Luigi's Mansion 3 from Next Level Games, an NX port of Final Fantasy 15, and new IP. NX will use a Polaris-like GPU, which is similar to other consoles, and its power may be comparable to the upcoming PlayStation 4K. But the biggest claim is that three separate sources have told him that NX's controller features a screen and uses Wi-Fi hotspots to stream games from the home console to the controller on the go. Rogers, however, chimed in out of a break from Twitter to say that this is pretty much all wrong. Uh, and I don't know how to feel about this user because his track record is pretty much new besides being verified on NeoGAF and Reddit. Um, likewise, a lot of the smaller stuff he says has either been said and discussed in the past or is really similar to stuff that we've already talked about here on the show. So I'm just going to talk about the controller rumor. And I thought that that was true until Emily Rogers said otherwise, and now I don't really know what to think. Uh, like I said previously, she's proven herself extremely trustworthy at this point, whereas this 10k guy has essentially nothing backing him up. But at the same time, I don't think Nintendo wants to abandon their effort to welcome touchscreen gamers to Nintendo consoles. And in fact, I think they want to push that effort even harder or at least less carelessly, than they did with Wii U. So, I do think it's possible that the NX will feature some sort of gamepad done right. And as a part of gamepad done right, I think that streaming more than 10 feet away, or whatever the gamepad's connection distance is, would definitely be in the cards. Um, gaming these days, especially with that crowd, is all about picking up and playing as quickly as possible. So that makes a lot of sense from both perspectives, the advance the gamepad perspective and the olive branch to the mobile crowd perspective. But aside from all that, I also think that Nintendo sees too much potential in touchscreen controllers to let the Wii U's performance dissuade them from the concept. Uh, especially considering we've had the DS since 2004, we've had a few Wii U games really shine with the gamepad, like Pikmin 3, Mario Maker, uh, I think Miyamoto probably really likes the stuff they did with Star Fox. So, that part I do kind of think is true, but I I'm second-guessing it now. Um, but either way, I think that Nintendo's head over heels for touch controls, um, and there's nothing stopping them from also having more traditional controllers. So, anyway, that's all to say that, um, while I believe Rogers here, I have a hunch it's not as black and white as people are making out, out to be. So, when I looked at this collection of rumors, I, you know, I like you, I, I really liked the idea of uh, being able to stream on the go to the to the controller and whatnot. And I agree with you that uh -huh. we'll probably, we probably will see a controller with some sort of touchscreen built in. I don't think Nintendo's ready to abandon that idea. But the rest of, of the collection of rumors here from 10K, to me, just basically sounded like cherry-picking most of the most popular rumors that have been circulating mm -hmm. lately. Like, a lot of it was stuff we had heard from, we had heard before from other people. You know, Final yeah. Fantasy XV, we're fairly sure that that's, you know almost a given at this point. A new IP, I mean, that's almost always a safe bet that they're going to work on some new IP at some point for a new console. Yeah. And then, you know, Luigi's Mansion 3, we, we've heard that before from a source we're a little iffy on. And the Polaris-like GPU, that's interesting to me because that's actually what we're hearing about uh, PlayStation Neo, the the... The mm -hmm. new and improved PlayStation 4 model that's coming out is that there's a lot of mystery surrounding its GPU, but it's supposedly yeah. an up-and-coming Polaris architecture that's not out yet. Um, I was going somewhere with this, I promise. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, like you said, uh, Rogers has called this guy out specifically and basically said all of these uh, rumors he's saying are a bunch of crap. Uh, she said the gimmick, referring to being able to stream to your handheld on the go, or uh, the controller on the go, she says the gimmick is made up. And also, Liam Robertson, who we've who we have had on the podcast before, mm -hmm. has called this guy out and said basically... Uh, don't believe him. Um, so they're they're all hearing completely different things from the people that they're talking to. And like you said, this yeah. guy doesn't really have much of a track record. So right. I'm inclined to believe, other than the obvious things that we've already heard from multiple other reliable sources, that uh, this is this is rubbish. That's that's what I'm leaning towards. All right, all right. So I will also say that this is mostly rubbish, which is not to say that. Anything in particular here is not true, but uh, based on my conversations with 10K on Twitter, um, he a lot of his sources are not developers, but actually journalists. 
And uh, since hmm. none of those journalists have come forward to give any of this information, which I assume if they had received it, they would be sharing it, uh, as we saw with uh, what happened when the PS4 uh, refresh uh, documentation kind of leaked out early, um, I'm inclined to believe that none of the information is confirmed to the point where we can say it's true. Mm. Um, now, that said, I'll also talk about the individual components of the rumor. Uh, first of all, the controller... I think Nintendo will definitely include the Wii U streaming tech in the console in some fashion, um, but I don't think that that's going to mean they're going to pack in a controller that can take advantage of it. And I do think that they'll try to improve that tech so that you can play your games, uh, stream your games on the go. But again, that might be something that requires the handheld and not just like a new and improved gamepad. Now, they might take advantage of the Wii U gamepads that already exist, and maybe with a future iteration of the console, or maybe with a, in the future they'll add an optional touchscreen controller, but I don't think it's going to be something they're going to bank on for the image for their console. I think mm-hmm. the gimmick with NX will be something totally new that none of us have really seen coming. All right. Um, for the ports, I mean, those are all things we've heard about before, so can't really comment anything new on those. Uh, the other interesting thing is the Polaris GPU. Uh, Polaris, for those of you who don't know, is a new GPU technology that's kind of slated to go into mass production uh, next year. So for Nintendo to be using it now would be really, really aggressive. Um, At the same time, uh, since Nintendo is trying to unify their architecture between consoles and handhelds, uh, Polaris is a smaller uh, chipset. It'll be uh, 14 nanometers versus I think the current ones are 28. So with the smaller size comes uh, the potential to achieve higher performance without uh, as much heat, uh, theoretically without as much cost once the cost comes down. So uh, that'll be really great when Nintendo is releasing their their uh, handheld platform because it'll be a, a, a allow their handheld to achieve much better performance. Yeah, I think I think the idea of using that would be uh, you know it would make for for good consoles or for a good console and a good handheld. But I have a really hard time believing that Nintendo's upcoming console uses uh, you know chips that aren't even available to the mass market yet. Normally they're using chips that are like four or five years old. So that would probably, right. that would be extremely ambitious for Nintendo and would probably lead to it being more expensive than what they're willing to price their devices at. And that's sort of the the tension for me too is is there's that conflict between do we use this cutting edge chip that might increase the cost of our console that is improving technology all those sorts of things or do we really focus on future proofing this architecture yeah uh, on the other hand though ben uh and alex you agreed it's possible that they may be seeing the wii u and saying well look four-year-old chips just aren't doing it anymore we gotta (laughs) invest in something that's really really new really cutting edge we gotta try the other you know the opposite direction uh rather than try to refine the choice that we've already made in the past right so who knows uh one other thing that might be the case is they might be using an older chip for the console while saving their investment in polaris for the handheld um, in which case, the, it should be pretty easy to port between those two or the architectures, the older one and the new Polaris one. Um, mm-hmm. But the Polaris one would still provide the same benefits to the handheld that we were just talking about. Right, right. Cool. All right. Uh, next up also comes from Emily Rogers, but she affirms that Zelda U is absolutely coming to NX, and she further reveals that you'll be able to choose between a male and female playable character, and that it will feature full voice acting for most of the characters in-game, although she made a point to say that Link is one who will not be fully voiced. I don't have a especially strong feel for whether or not this is true, but you know it could make sense to a certain extent why Nintendo has been so secretive about the game since showing it off to us what the last time was like a year and a half ago other than that uh-huh. like 10 second teaser we got a few months ago or whatever uh so you know if cuz these would be pretty big changes for the series so it would Absolutely. make sense that they're trying to keep it all hush hush until uh you know it's time for a big reveal at E3 i will say that i would like for these rumors to be true i will add it that I not only like would like these rumors to be true, but I really do think they are true. I think uh, with what we've seen of Link in Zelda U so far, they've clearly aren't focused on preserving the whole of the iconic image since we haven't even seen him with his tunic and hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could definitely see them making more radical changes beyond just that default image. I could see them adding you know, a female Link option or maybe Linkle as an optional playable character. Uh, I think for sure Hyrule Warriors adding Linkle as a major pillar of the story seems to kind of telegraph that they understand the popularity of having kind of 
of a a link sort of equivalent character that is a female mm-hmm. um and that may manifest in a gender select option um i also think it's oddly suspicious that you know even though we've seen this game you know sort of a couple times since it was revealed we still haven't seen any other characters besides link yeah, yeah. so i was going to say that I would. I could see them definitely holding back the uh, voice acting thing and and the other characters until they're ready to kind of show those off in their finished. For sure. For sure. Yep. Uh, agreed. I I would like them to be true. I mean, I think the the male and female character option. I see what a lot of people say about like Link is a male. I disagree. It's the spirit of the hero, so it doesn't matter. But. I can see what people are saying about, you know, the icon. I hope the icon doesn't change. And so if they introduce a different female playable character that is not just Link as a girl, um, I could see that working really well, satisfying a lot more fans than making a Link gender option. As for the voice acting, it kind of falls in line with what I've been saying recently about Zelda needing to modernize. And I think they are modernizing it. And I completely agree with you guys. I think these rumors are true. Cool. So the last of our NX rumors, and the second to last rumor before we wrap up the show this week, comes from Tillman of Nintendomination, who claims that Metroid Prime 4 is in development for NX. This one hasn't caught wind as much as the others, and for good reason. Tillman has a terrible track record. (laughs) He said that the recent Nintendo Direct would reveal five games exclusive to new Nintendo 3DS, which of course it did not, and that the new 3DS would abandon region locking and bring big changes to the Nintendo Network ID system. Uh, for those reasons, we actually didn't even report this rumor at Gamnesia, but I still want to bring it up here on the show because I've seen it being shared around quite a lot online, and by all counts, this sounds like total rubbish. Yeah, does Tillman have actual inside information that Metroid Prime 4 is in development? No. Right. But, you know, you have to look at what uh, we've heard about what Nintendo's sort of mission is for Metroid Prime Federation Force and think... They kind of are hinting at that this is their way of reintroducing the Metroid Prime universe, and that it won't just end with Federation Force. So I do think they are at least planning or thinking about a Metroid Prime 4. Uh, Whether it's in development now is another question. Well, maybe it's not a 4. Maybe it's something about, uh, like, a Silux game or... Tanabe said that he really wants to explore the other characters. So that's, there could that's be games true. that are in the Metroid universe, the that Metroid Prime true. universe, but not a sequel. But at the same time, I think uh, he's probably taken a lot of the reception to Federation Force. Hopefully, Yeah, I'm sure... <laughs> I would imagine a lot of the follow-up games would have significantly similar gameplay, or if it's not significantly similar gameplay, gameplay that is really designed around the characters um, and maybe makes a sort of larger universe that ties multiple genres together. But at that point, that's, you know, game pitching. Yeah, I could absolutely see Nintendo returning to the Metroid Prime universe outside of Federation Force, uh, you know, in the first couple years of NX Life, but I I don't believe for a second that Tillman has any sort of uh, inside information about Metroid yeah. Prime being for, uh, Metroid Prime 4 being in development. So I'm, uh, I'm going with Trubbish as well. All right. And our final rumor this week is that the Pokemon Company is looking for someone to make a big-budget, live-action Pokemon movie. They're auctioning off the brights, and the big three names include Sony Pictures, Warner Bros., and the front-runner Legendary Entertainment. Guys, have thoughts on this? True or Trubbish? You know, based on the advertising we've seen from the Pokemon Company lately, I can tell you for sure they're not afraid to kind of mix their characters with live-action footage. Yeah. So, you know, it would make sense that they're planning on uh, springboarding off of that into a live-action film. So... I'm leaning towards mm. Drew. All right. Yeah, I think this would have been a lot harder to stomach if it hadn't been for the Super Bowl commercial they aired and the incredible yeah. reception it received. Yeah. And I think the Pokemon Go trailer, too. I mean, the Super Bowl commercial is probably really what did it. Um, but, you know, if you look at, like, they had the live-action family sitting next to the Pikachu and stuff. Um, and I think those looked really good. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's I, a I brain image that I think really works, too, considering I think people are kind of... Not necessarily tired, but I think the the image they've had for kind of the characters in the world of Pokemon, it worked when Pokemon first came out, but uh, with the kinds of connected experiences you can have nowadays, it really does yeah. make sense to have more realistic depictions of the world that, uh, that the IP is set in. I agree. Um, and I think this is true. Uh, just because the Pokemon company has been so daring already with the brand and live-action film just feels inevitable... Uh, I'm equally thrilled and terrified to hear this, because 
I mean, I think Pokemon's in this place where it's probably safe to say that it is the world's single most cherished childhood media franchise. So that means that there's an enormous amount of pressure on whoever makes this film to really hit a home run. You know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was terrible, the Transformers movies were terrible, Scooby-Doo was terrible, Dragon Ball was terrible, G.I. Joe was terrible. Pokemon's kind of like the last domino, I feel like. You know, it cannot be terrible or the world's gonna want your head on a silver platter. Um, but on the flip side, because it's so loved and so widely revered, if they do put in the proper care to make this movie really right, I think it could really usher in a new era of adaptive filmmaking in a way that other properties like TMNT just couldn't have even done, even if they were done right. Pokemon's so special, I think, because its themes are really universal. Finding your way through the world without adults talking down to you, uh, healthy respect for the people around us, most importantly, of course, loving the creatures who live on this world with us and growing alongside them through good times and bad. And the franchise as it is, I think, conveys those themes in a way that feels really natural and honest and heartfelt. Uh, Ash may be an idiot, but he he's is. forging his own way. <laughs> he's forging his own way. And the series lets us see all of these relationships with all these Pokemon that he has. Uh, the games communicate those themes by giving us those relationships. We're the ones fighting. We're the ones adventuring. We're the ones becoming the champion. But, but I think one of the most important components of all that is that all these stories are told through the lens of childhood, or at least some stage of childhood. Uh, and in childhood, the world is more loving, the world is more wondrous, and the world is more optimistic towards all of those themes. And that's not to say there aren't moments in Pokemon that are really badass, but the badassery comes in a package that wears its heart on its sleeve. It's, it's really personal, and yet its message resonates with everybody. Now, the immediate thought a lot of us, including myself, have with the idea of a big-budget live-action film is a sort of a gritty movie with teenagers or young adults, scary Pokemon, big explosions, testosterone pulsing through its DNA. Because uh, that's what happened to G.I. Joe. That's what happened to the Ninja Turtles. And yeah, I, I pray to every god of every theism out there that that's not what happens to Pokemon. Uh, it's almost too sickening to even imagine. But if they can somehow light a fire underneath everything that makes the series so special and bring all that to the silver screen, the friendships, the struggles, the dreams and adventure, the magical journey that is Pokemon, I really do think they could make one of the greatest, most influential films of all time. So I really don't see them going the ultra-gritty route. I think... I think there's there's too many people in charge that care mm -hmm. too strongly for the IP to see that happen, you know, and especially with Nintendo owning the Pokemon company. Well, and you, you know how how careful yeah. they are with their IP in yeah. recent years. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know what to expect from a live action Pokemon movie. I don't really know how you uh, condense the story of Pokemon or just a story of Pokemon into you know. A hundred minutes of film or something like that. But. It's got to be a story that takes place within the Pokemon world mm -hmm. rather than the story of a kid who goes from gym to gym to gym. Right, no, it can't four. be eight badges plus Elite Four. You know, that, that right. that's not going to work. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what angle they're taking it. If it, you know, comes to fruition, I, I'm not sure if I'm sold on the live action thing. But like I said, you saw the reaction that that Super Bowl commercial had. Yeah. Just how passionate people were about it, so I'm, I'm not surprised in the least that they're exploring this avenue. In fact, <gasps> you know, I thought they would have a long time ago. It's Detective Pikachu! <laughs> Starring Danny. Oh, God. <laughs> um, you know, I actually just had an idea, Ben, sad. you were talking about that. Uh, what could be really interesting, and it surely won't happen, but it could be really interesting to have a movie that explores the relationship between Giovanni and his son, yeah. the rival from Gold and Silver. Um... It would never happen, but I don't know. That could be really cool. That could be like a great animated enough. Netflix special or something. <laughs> you know, I honestly kind of hope they don't carry over a lot of characters, human yeah. characters. Um, because I think the Pokemon characters themselves offer enough of a flavor, enough of a, yeah. a base, enough of a, the symbolic meaning of what, what you could do with a Pokemon movie, mm -hmm. that it really, it'd almost be better to t sort of strip out 
the characters and sort of replace them with sort of look at, at the relationship between a human and, and his Pokemon, mm-hmm. which is something that we don't really we sort of see that in the cartoons, but it's kind of done in a, a sporadic way over the course of the show. Uh, but yeah. imagine that kind of condensed into a movie, a story about a single relationship or a couple of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, something that could be really interesting and uh, given that it's the core story sort of of the original series of the anime is, uh, or I guess really just the first few episodes, but something that could be interesting is the story of a kid who gets a Pikachu and the Pikachu hates him. And just over the course of the movie, you know, they, they start to love each other. Yeah. That's, uh, that's sort of the, the symbolic, the core Pokemon story. I feel like that incorporates the Pikachu and then is also, you know, really resonant with the core themes of Pokemon, but also the way that people tend to think of Pokemon in the, the broader sort of mainstream culture. See, I think the core theme they really need to explore is that Ash is a jerk for stealing Misty's bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know, you mentioned that that having a, a Pokemon who the who doesn't you know really initially get along with with his trainer would be a good angle but i could see you know with the you you sort of mentioned the stewardship angle of pokemon where it's about taking mm-hmm. care of the world around you and the creatures in it um i could see it's sort of starting off with team rocket doing something nefarious that, <laughs> you know causes a, a uh-huh. wounded pokemon to show up on a kid's doorstep and oh and they sort of foster a friendship and then he yeah. goes and I say gets revenge, but that's not really the tone they'd take. Right. Um, I think, so the core, the core uh, through line that I'm hearing in all of this is that it needs to be an intimate movie. It can't be about yeah. Team Aqua and Team Magma trying to take over the world. It can't be about, you know, N trying to make his own universe or gets us or whatever. Uh, or Team Plasma. Whatever the hell all those stories are. Cyrus. Yeah. You know, and um, that's... Looking at it from that angle, that's something that a lot of these kind of bad adaptations don't really do very well, is they don't do the personal angle well. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, you see a lot of really good adaptations, like the Marvel movies, where they they really do try to focus on on the personal Mm -hmm. angle. The character interactions. Mm -hmm. And and just characters in general. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. So I think that really could be the secret sauce. Yeah. As for the bidding war... I really hope it's not legendary because they've been behind a ton of really terrible movie adaptions. Um, and I think they're probably the most likely company to do exactly the stupid shit that can not happen to Pokemon under any circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, they're apparently the front runner in the bidding war. So I'm just going to filter that out of my mind and say I really hope Warner Brothers picks it up. And the reason for that is Warner Brothers is the home of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who made the Lego movie. And I think that that's actually a great example of the kind of care that they need to give Pokemon. Because Lego is something that you hear they're making a Lego movie, and you think, well, well, how the f*** could that possibly be anything but a disaster? And then here they go, and they turn it around and deliver a movie that not only treats every Lego character who appears in it with amazing honor, but a movie that really tugs at the heart of what Lego itself is and what Legos meant to everyone who ever used them. In many cases, people who saw the movie didn't even realize how special Lego was to them until the movie unearthed it. Um... So not only do I think that those two would be able to work a wonderful magic on Pokemon, but WB owning the movie rights would also mean that Pokemon can be incorporated to future Lego movies, which would just be totally hilarious. Or, or, future Lego games, Lego Pokemon, can you see Lego Dimensions with Pokemon, can you imagine Lego Kanto running around beating up Team Rocket and stuff? Oh my god, that would be incredible. (laughs) Oh, man. Um... Yeah, but I and I think that that specifically that sense that there is a magic to Lego that a lot of people didn't realize until the movie unearthed it. Uh, you know, I think Pokemon is in a similar position where it's got the cultural impact that it has affected everyone in some way, whether they've paid any attention to Pokemon or not, and then those feelings can be sort of unearthed uh, in people who even have never interacted with the Pokemon brand. Agreed. Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, does anyone have any more comments? Or Yeah, as, yeah. as a closing thought, I'll just say the selling point for the movie is going to be if there's a kid that says, Hi, I like shorts, they're comfy and easy to wear. <laughs> Without that, the oh, man. it's not going to be the talking Pikachu that sounds like Danny DeVito. You know, if they had that in too, that'd be great. But really, it's it's all about the comfy shorts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there I mean, will they could be just a take the Japanese line. voice actor and just just put subs over him. Right? <laughs> that'd be good enough. <laughs> all right, so everybody, thank you all so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make this show great for you guys, so those iTunes reviews really mean a lot. And they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, if you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McKay's and remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show in our Mystery House segment, so it's a great way for you to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A, and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. Alex, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can check out Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. On our way out, please enjoy my own work on Mother 3's love theme. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week.